Chapter Seven of A Slave Is a Slave by H. Beam Piper. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Seven. Some of them were briefly puzzled. Gradually, comprehension dawned. Obray, Count Erskyll looked distressed. He seemed to be hoping vainly that they weren't thinking of what he suspected they were. How about the mastership, Freedman? Another asked. We here will be paid by our lord's ma lord's employer, but everybody from the green robes down were provided for by the mastership. Who will pay them now? Why, the mastership, of course, Rickard Shifferts said. My management, my lord employers, I mean, will issue the money to pay them. You may need a new printing press, Lawns Degbrin said, and an awful lot of paper. This planet will need currency acceptable in interstellar trade, Erskyll said. Everybody looked blankly at him. He changed the subject. Mr. Schmid, uh, could you or Mr. Hoset tell me what kind of a constitution the Mastership has? You mean like the paper you read in the Convocation? Hoset asked. Oh, there is nothing at all like that. The former Lord's Master simply ruled. No, they reigned. This servile Tamanahal, another ancient Terran word of uncertain origin, ruled. Well, how is the mastership organized, then? Erskyll persisted. How did the Lord Nicolon get to be chairman of the Presidium, and the Lord Javasan to be chief of administration? That was very simple. The convocation consisted of the heads of all the masterly families, actually small clans, numbered about twenty-five hundred. They elected the seven members of the Presidium, who drew lots for the chairmanship. They served for life. Vacancies were filled by election or nomination of the surviving members. The Presidium appointed the chiefs of managements, who also served for life. At least it had stability. It was self-perpetuating. "'Does the Convocation make the laws?' Erskyll asked. Hoshet was perplexed. "'Make laws, Lord Proconsul? Oh, no, we have laws.' There were planets here and there through the Empire, where an attitude like that would have been distinctly beneficial. Planets with elective parliaments, every member of which felt himself obligated to get as many laws enacted during his term of office as possible. But this is dreadful! You must have a constitution! Obray of Erskyll was shocked. We will have to get one drawn up and adopted. We don't know anything about that at all, Gregor Schmid admitted. This is something new. You will have to help us. I certainly will, Mr. Schmid. Suppose you form a committee, yourself and Mr. Hoshet and three or four others, select them among yourselves, and we can get together and talk over what will be needed. And another thing, we'll have to stop calling this the Mastership. There are no more Masters. The Employership? Lons Degbrin deadpanned. Erskyll looked at him angrily. This is something, he told the chief freedman, that should not belong to the employers alone. It should belong to everybody. Let us call it the Commonwealth. That means something everybody owns in common. Something everybody owns, nobody owns, Michael Eschafar objected. Oh, no, Michael. It will belong to everybody, Gregor Schmidt told him earnestly. But somebody will have to take care of it for everybody. That, he added complacently, will be you and me and the rest of us here. I believe, Yakub Zonar said, almost smiling, 
that this freedom is going to be a wonderful thing for us. I don't like it, Michael Eschkafar said stubbornly. Too many new things, too much changing names. We have to call slaves freedmen, we have to call lords master, lords employer, we have to call the management of servile affairs the management for freedmen. Now we have to call the mastership this new name, Commonwealth, and all these new things for which we have no routine procedures and no directives. I wish these people had never heard of this planet. That makes at least two of us, Petrie Morville said, sotto voce. Well, the planetary constitution can wait just a bit, Prince Trevanion suggested. We have a great many items on the agenda which must be taken care of immediately. For instance, there's this thing about finding a proconsular palace. A surprising amount of work had been done at the small tables where Erskyll's staff of political and economic and technological experts had been conferring with the subordinate upper freedmen. It began coming out during the pre-dinner cocktails aboard the Empress Eulalie, continued through the meal, and was fully detailed during the formal debriefing session afterward. Finding a suitable building for the proconsular palace would present difficulties. Real estate was not sold on Aditya any more than slaves were. It was not only unmasterly, but illegal. Estates were all entailed and the inalienable property of masterly families. What was wanted was one of the isolated residential towers in Zegensburg, far enough from the citadel to avoid any appearance of too close supervision. The last thing anybody wanted was to establish the proconsul in the citadel itself. The management of business of the mastership, however, had promised to do something about it. That would mean, no doubt, that the Empress Eulalie would be hanging over Zegensburg, serving as proconsular palace for the next year or two. The servile management, rechristened Freedmen's Management, would undertake to safeguard the rights of the newly emancipated slaves. There would be an employment code, Count Erskyll was invited to draw that up, and a force of investigators and an enforcement agency under Zahor's Kahuzik. One of Commander Duvrin's men, who had been at the Estragonian Nuclear Industries establishment, was present and reported, Great new! You ought to see that place! They've people working in places I wouldn't send an unshielded robot, and the hospital there is bulging with radiation sickness cases. The equipment must have been brought here by the Space Vikings. What's left of it is the damnedest mess of Goldbergery I ever saw. The whole thing ought to be shut down and completely rebuilt. Erskyll wanted to know who owned it. The Mastership, he was told. That's right, one of his economics men agreed. Management of Public Works. That would be Michael Eschkafar, who had so bitterly objected to the new nomenclature. If anybody needs fissionables for a power reactor or radioactives for nuclear electric conversion, his chief business slave gets what's needed. Furthermore, doesn't even have to sign for it. Don't they sell it for revenue? Niflheim, no. This government doesn't need revenue. The government supports itself by counterfeiting. When the mastership needs money, they just have Ridgert Shefferts print up another batch, like everybody else. Then the money simply isn't worth anything. Erskyll was horrified, which was rapidly becoming his normal state. Who cares about money, O'Bray? he said. Didn't you hear them last evening? It's unmasterly to bother about things like money. 
Of course, everybody owes everybody for everything, but it's all in the family. Well, something will have to be done about that. That was at least the tenth time he had said that this evening. It came practically as a thunderbolt when Gregor Schmid screened the ship the next afternoon to report that a proconsular palace had been found and would be ready for occupancy in a day or so. The chief freedman of the management of business of the mastership and the Lord Chief Justiciar had found one, the Elegry Palace, which had been unoccupied except for what he described as a small caretaking staff for years, while the two masterly families disputed inheritance rights and slave lawyers quibbled endlessly before a slave judge. The chief freedman of the Lord Chief Justiciar had simply summoned judge and lawyers into his office and ordered them to settle the suit at once. The settlement had consisted of paying both litigants the full value of the building. This came to fifty million stellies apiece. Arbitrarily, the stelly was assigned a value in imperial crowns of a hundred for one. A million crowns was about what the building would be worth, with contents on Odin. It would be paid for with a draft on the imperial exchequer. "'Well, you have some hard currency on the planet now,' he told Count Erskel, while they were having a pre-dinner drink together that evening. "'I hope it doesn't touch off an inflation, if the term is permissible, when applied to Adityan currency.' Erskel snapped his fingers. "'Yes!' And there's the money we've been spending for supplies. And when we start compensation payments—excuse me for a moment." He dashed off his drink in his hand. After a long interval he came back, carrying a fresh one he had gotten from a bartending robot en route. "'Well, that's taken care of,' he said. "'My fiscal man's getting in touch with Richard Schifferts. The Elegry heirs will be paid in Adityan cellies, and the Imperial crowns will be held in the Commonwealth Bank or better, banked in Asgard to give Aditya some off-planet credit. And we'll do the same with our other expenditures and with the slave compensation. This is going to be wonderful. This planet needs everything in the way of industrial equipment. This is how they're going to get it. But, Obrey, the compensations are owing to the individual masters. They should be paid in crowns. You know as well as I do that this hundred-for-one rate is purely a local fiction. On the interstellar exchange these stellies have a crown value of precisely zero point zero. You know what would happen if these side-deviant masters got hold of imperial crowns, Erskel said. They'd only squander them back again for useless imported luxuries. This planet needs a complete modernization, and this is the only way the money to pay for it can be gotten." He was gesturing excitedly with the almost full glass in his hand. Prince Trevanion stepped back out of the way of the splash he anticipated. "'I have no sympathy for the side-deviant masters. They own every stick and stone and pinch of dust on this planet as it is. Is that fair?' "'Possibly not, but neither is what you're proposing to do.' Obrey, Count Erskel, couldn't see that. He was proposing to secure the greatest good for the greatest number, and to Niflheim with any minorities who happened to be in the way. The Navy took over the Elegry Palace the next morning, ran up the Imperial Sun and Cogwheel flag, and began transmitting views of its interior up to the Empress Eulalie. It was considerably smaller than the Imperial Palace at Asgard on Odin. 
but room for room the furnishings were rather more ornate and expensive. By the next afternoon the counter-espionage team that had gone down reported the masterly living quarters clean of pickups, microphones, and other apparatus of servile snooping, of which they had found many. The Canopus was recalled from her station over the northern end of the continent, and began sending down the pro-consulate furnishings stowed aboard, including several hundred domestic robots. The skeleton caretaking staff Chimid had mentioned proved to number five hundred. What are we going to do about them? Erskyll wanted to know. There's a limit to the upkeep allowance for a proconsulate, and we can't pay five hundred useless servants. The chief freedman and about a dozen assistants and a few to operate the robots when we train them, but five hundred. Let's a horse do it, Prince Stravanion suggested. Isn't that what this freedman's management is for? to find employment for emancipated slaves. Just emancipate them and turn them over to Kahuzik. Kahuzik promptly placed all of them on the payroll of his management. Kahuzik was having his hands full. He had all his top mathematical experts, some of whom even understood the use of the slide rule, trying to work up a scale of wages. Erskyll loaned him a few of his staff. None of the ideas any of them developed proved workable. Kahuzik had also organized a corps of investigators, and he was beginning to annex the private guard companies of the Lord's ex-master, whom he was organizing into a police force. End of chapter 7